Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording of a Shabbat teaching by Rabbi Rebecca Schatz. Levi read for us a verse in this week's Parsha that is famous, and yet you might not know that it comes from this week's Parsha. The verse is, And it's a verse that if we think back to this week, and we think back to watching the trial on, was that Tuesday? Tuesday. That it's almost like the Torah knew, or maybe those in court knew, that this was coming about in our Torah portion the week following. Because what I want to talk about today, and if you have the source sheet from the bulletin, um, we'll be going through some of the sources, though not all, as per usual. And if not, I'll read them all out loud and you can engage in the discussion. So if, you, if this is your first time doing this with us, um, there will be opportunities for you to share thoughts, comments, questions uh, throughout the teaching. I'm just going to ask that because this is not a conversation that will come without political feelings, that we keep it to Torah, that we keep it to questions or comments that are going to connect us to the Torah that we're learning and not to our personal feelings of how things turned out this past week in the trial that we all, I'm sure, watched. Also, I can't see everybody, which is a beautiful thing. It means that there are too many people for me to see all the, all the faces. So if you have something to say, if you know and feel comfortable on Shabbat using the raise hand function, that will be the easiest way for me to call on you. Uh, and if not, uh, someone will tell me to get your attention. Okay, so when looking at this line, the one thing that struck me when, and I... I was watching the trial. Some of you are actually on this call with me. I was in the middle of, uh, I was in an interview. I was not being interviewed. I was in an interview for, for, um, for someone with a bunch of members of our team. And we knew that the interview was happening at the same time as the trial. So I didn't have it on the whole time. I only had it on when they said they were going to come back and actually read out what the verdict was. So I turned it on, and some of you know, because I've spoken pretty openly and very proudly about this, my aunt and uncle, now nine years ago, the first time, adopted two children. Both are African-American boys, and both are my cousins. And, you know, for anyone who's ever adopted children, there's nothing, there's nothing else to really say there. They, they became part of our family. They're part of our family. And the way of the world reminds me more often than I wish it would that they do not have the same skin color that I have. Because I fear for them. I hear news differently knowing that they are people I love in my family for whom when I look at them and when I interact with them, it is not about their skin color. And yet, when I watch the news, they are the ones that come to my mind, first and foremost, with many others in my life, obviously. So when watching the verdict, <clears throat> which again, I'm sure many of us watched exactly the same moment in history, I was on Zoom for this interview 
on video, everyone could see me, and I started to get very emotional in hearing the verdict. And I, I'm going to hold to my own rule in terms of not talking about this politically. I will just say that I became emotional because I felt a weight lifted off of my shoulders in that moment, not for the rest of their lives, for my cousins. They immediately came to my mind, and I got emotional thinking about how hopefully this is a step in the right direction for them and for their lives. And again, not because of the person on trial nor the person murdered, but because I believe that everyone deserves to be treated like a person made in the image of God, no matter what you look like, no matter who you are, no matter your politics. And according to this line, we're supposed to love people like we love ourselves. So if I love myself in the way that I am, I should then be able to love the people standing, sitting in front of me for the way that they are. Because I love myself for what I am. I'm not changing anything about who I am. I'm not afraid of who I am. And so I need to believe that can be possible for the people in front of me. So we're going to look at two verses from this week's Parsha. One I just gave an introduction to, and the other one is a line that you probably know, but uh, maybe have not spent as much time looking at as Vea Haftalarecha Kamocha. And this line is Leviticus 19.16. And it's Lotelech Rachel Beamecha, Lotamod al Dam Reecha, Ani Adonai. Do not deal basely with your countrymen. Do not stand on the blood of your fellow. I am Adonai. Okay. So before I expre- express to you what I think this is saying, again, if you have something to say on this piece of Torah, I am very curious to hear. You don't, don't give me a drosh. Just tell me what you think this is saying. What is, what is Lota Amod al Echa saying? Anybody? I just remember that I can't see everybody. So if you're raising your hand, I'm not calling on you. It's because I can't see you. No thoughts? Do you want me to just tell you? Devorah Kolker, go ahead. You have to be unmuted. Hold on. There you go. Okay, I'm unmuted. You are. What it, what it means is that if you were to learn the whole laws and a sense of what Torah means and what it means to be, to live a Jewish life. Yeah. It, it means that don't do anything that's hateful to you, to somebody else. Because Great. we're all made, as you said, in the image of God. And we have um, a society that always seems to have a pecking order, that there always seems to be someone lower than them yeah. that they can pick on. And okay. I I think that's unfortunate, and um, I think if we lived by that code, the whole world would be different. Yes, I agree. I think that if everyone lived by you should love another person like you love yourself, the world would be a very different place, for sure. Um, Paula, did you want to add to that? We just have to unmute you. Hold on one second. 
Hi, Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom. Um, I, I, this, this whole idea of shedding blood and standing by, I know it to me is just about even in discomfort and even with, um, even in with challenge and even with difficulty that we're obligated to step up and act and do to prevent that kind of harm. Great. And we're going to get to a commentary a little bit later that actually says that exactly, that we are not only obligated, but, but we are, we would be doing the wrong thing if we walked away, that we are, we are so obligated that it's not just you should feel a sense of obligation and then maybe if you want to it, it's a sense of obligation just like, I don't know, keeping Shabbat that you should feel like if you don't do it, there's a consequence. So the, this idea of lo ta'amod al damra'echa, we've talked about this before, that the Torah chooses words very wisely. So the fact that it says al is not... It is not just because it was decided that all was going to be written there, but the idea of on is very powerful. Lo ta'amod al damre'echa. Not only the way that we say it in, uh, in colloquial English is do not stand idly by, which is strong for sure, but do not stand on the blood of your re'e, your brother, your neighbor, your loved one. That is extremely strong because what that implies is that you are there for it and you are, you are on it. You know what's going on and you're not doing anything about it. So Ibn Ezra says, it, he actually translates it as, do not stand idle. So m- maybe that's similar to, to the idea of um, if you're standing atop the, the blood of your, of your neighbor that you just don't know what to do. You're kind of frozen. It's where we get do not stand idly by, obviously. Um, one must not become involved with people who shed blood. So he's taking it one step further and not just saying, okay, this isn't just about you. This is about you and all of your friends. You should not stand idly by, but that also means that the people who you are in community with, if you see them standing idly by, that's you standing idly by. Does that make sense? Is everybody with me on that one? It's, it's a, it's a chain reaction. If you, decide that you are not going to do something about it, then you need to make sure that the others around you are not standing idly by as you are. It is well known that many people have been murdered. Many people have been killed because of slander. Okay, so that's just, that's Ibn Ezra's uh, kind of follow up to his reason here that it's possible that, that you might not stand idly by, but others around you will. So the second verse, which is the one that I actually introduced um, to, begin, to begin with, and this is uh, the line, Ve'ahavta l'recha kamocha, which begins, Loti kom ve'loti tor. Do not take vengeance or bear a grudge at b'nei amecha. Uh, against your, your, it says here, countrymen, against the people of your nation. Am is a nation, so against the people of your nation. Love your fellow, your neighbor, your loved one as yourself. Ani Adonai, I am God. So Rambam, Ramban, excuse me, says, Nachmanides says, the phrase love your neighbor as yourself cannot be meant literally, since man cannot be expected to love his neighbor as himself. 
Moreover, Rabbi Akiva has ruled that your life comes first. The Torah here enjoins us that we should wish upon our neighbor the same benefits that we wish upon ourselves. So maybe that is even stronger that to bring it back to to the situation that we are talking about in terms of this trial, if I have certain rights, I should expect those rights for another person, no matter who they are. Because if ve'ahavta l'reicha kamocha means to want for another person what I want for myself, then those same freedoms, those same rights, those same abilities need to not just be for me because I love myself, but should be for the other people that are in my midst. Uh, we're going to skip a few lines if you're looking at the source sheet. Uh, it is this shortcoming that the Torah condemned. Rather, a man should wish his fellow well in everything, just as he does in his own case, and he should not place no limitations on his love. Therefore, in the case of Yonatan and David, it says that Yonatan, Jonathan, loved him as his own soul, since he had removed all jealousy from his heart. So, He's taking this to an example about David and Jonathan for whom they loved one another as if they were talking about their own self, right? David was seeing David as opposed to David seeing Jonathan and therefore loved him like he loved himself. Any comments on this before we go on? Because we're going to take, take a stab at, um, at a Mishnah here. Any thoughts, comments? Okay. If you have them, raise your hand. I don't see any hands yet. All right. So we're going to look at Mishnah Sanhedrin 4-5. Again, if you have the source sheet, it's uh, at the top of the, of the second page. If you don't, it's Mishnah Sanhedrin 4-5. Um, we're going to read this in chunks uh, because I want to be able to expound upon it and be able to ask if there are any questions or comments. So it starts off by saying here, just, just for those of us who have not potentially studied a ton of Mishnah. The Mishnah is going to comment, but also bring verses in from places in Torah. So I'll tell you where that's happening, but just so that you're aware, not everything is going to be from the words of two, the, of the rabbis from 200. It's going to be also from uh, examples of, of verses from Torah. So this is how it begins. How did they admonish witnesses in capital cases? They brought them in and admonished them Quote, perhaps you will say something that is only a supposition or hearsay or secondhand, or even from a trustworthy man, or perhaps you do not know that we shall check you with examination and inquiry. No moreover, that capital cases are not like non-capital cases. In non-capital cases, a man may pay money and so make atonement, and I put this in bold, but in capital cases, the witness is answerable for the blood of him that is wrongfully condemned and the blood of his descendants that should have been born to him to the end of the world. Now, here comes a verse from Torah that makes this quite interesting. For so we have found with Cain, who murdered his brother, Abel, for it says, the bloods of your brother cry out. Has anybody ever noticed that, that it says bloods, plural? Yes, no, maybe nodding heads. Yes, nodding heads. Okay. The bloods of your, of your brother, right? It's interesting that it's plural as opposed to just the blood of your brother. Um, lost my 
pot. Hold on. It doesn't say the blood of your brother, but rather the bloods of your brother, meaning his blood and the blood of his descendants. Okay, we're going to pause here for a second. This is extremely interesting for rabbis in 200 CE to be writing about that, that there is something different in certain types of cases that in this type of case, in a capital case, that we are to recognize that it's not just about the person who we are discussing, but about anything that could have come from that person. And I would add to this Mishnah that it's not just about any person who could have come from from the person who has been killed, but anything. Could the person have become an inventor? Could the person have, you know, cured cancer? Whatever it may have been, what creation could have come from this person? And that's what the Mishnah seems to be saying that the bloods of your brother cry out is trying to make us understand that it wasn't just about Abel. It was about any children who could have come after or any, uh, any legacy that should have been created for if he had, if he had remained alive. Any thoughts on this before we go on to the next piece of the, of the Mishnah? Yeah, Devorah takes me to mind of the Holocaust of the people that were yeah. murdered. Yeah. Who could have cured cancer? Yeah. For example. And I think of that every time I think of the of the lost lives that we'd lost more than a life. We lost the future of our of our whole society. Yes. For sure. And that's why, and you know this, Devorah, but that's why it says, you know, for my sake, and that's actually the end of this, uh, the Mishnah today, but for my sake was the world created, right? This idea that it's not just, and if you kill one person, it's as if you've killed an entire world, because it's not just about that one person. It's about all the life lived or created that could have come after that person. Joanna, oh, okay. Uh, Alan. (laughs) He's, yeah, there you go. What strikes, what has always struck me about this particular verse is that it shows the sanctity of human life and the rabbi's unwillingness to invoke the death penalty. In the Parsha, we read all these different examples about people being put to death. Yeah. And yet the rabbis go out of their way to make it uh, almost impossible to convict somebody. And in fact, there's another, I forgot which rabbi said what, but there's an example that says that if you convict someone every 70 years, you do it too often. If you'd, and even and if, and if two rabbis were on the Sanhedrin, they would never, ever invoke the death penalty. Hmm. And it strikes me that no matter that, that the Jewish view, or the rabbinic, particularly the rabbinic view about preserving life and the sanctity of life um, really is... Kadosh is really holy. Yes. And, and interesting that it comes off of, this is not just, there are many places in our tradition that talk about Jews against, I hope you know what I mean by that, other Jews, right? That this is, that we're talking about just Jewish people dealing with other Jewish people. That's not what we're doing here, right? In the Mishnah, we are not just talking about if this is a capital case for someone who's Jewish. We're talking about, as Alan is pointing out, people 
in general. We are talking about how people are made holy and that we need to see them as such uh, and treat them as such and how uh, uncomfortable the rabbis were with imagining that any justice system could have the ability to somehow hinder or end a life in that kind of way. So we're going to go on to this next chunk here of the, we're still in the Mishnah, Sanhedrin 4 or 5. Uh, and it goes on to say, therefore, but a single person was created in the world to teach that if any man has caused a single life to perish from, now we are talking about, um, it says from Israel, but now we are talking about from, from the Jewish people. Uh, he is deemed by scripture as if he had caused a whole world to perish. This is what I was talking about to Devorah. And anyone who saves a single soul from Israel, he is deemed by scripture as if he had saved a whole world. Again, but a single person was created for the sake of peace among humankind that one should not say to another, my father was greater than your father. But a single person was created against the heretics so they should not say, there are many ruling powers in heaven. Again, meaning they're not listing things, but a single person was created to proclaim the greatness of God for humans stamp many coins with one seal and they are all like one another. But God has stamped every human with the seal of the first man, yet not one of them are like another. Therefore, everyone must say, for my sake was the world created." There is so much to unpack in this Mishnah, um, but I actually want to just leave it with that last very beautiful idea of the of the coins um, and go on to the next piece here. But I do think it's important for us to remember that we are not just saying everyone's alike, so you should love everybody. What we're saying is that you need to make sure that you recognize the holiness in another person, that you see them as an entire world, that you see them as a person that not only deserves for you to love them, but for you to take care of them like you would take care of yourself because they could have something that comes from them, which is the beginning of that Mishnah. Okay, so this was the piece that I brought up earlier from the Talmud. This is in uh, Ta'anit, in the Babylonian Talmud. And it says, I'm just going to read it in the English as opposed to um, uh, the Hebrew for a moment. Though it is not in Aramaic, it's in Hebrew. At a time when the community is suffering, no one should say, I will go home, eat, drink, and be at peace with myself. So I forget who made this comment, but this is very explicitly saying to us, you, if, if someone is suffering, I, I think this goes for more than just suffering, you know, with a, ju- with a justice system. I think we're saying suffering in any kind of way. You can't just say, all right, I'm just going to leave that alone. And I'm going to go on my merry way. This is lotamod al damrayecha. This is make sure you're not standing upon something that you could do something about. Make sure you take care of it and you don't just walk away. The last three pieces here was kind of the, the reason for this, this teaching this morning. I didn't want to just talk about how I felt about watching the trial or the outcome or what we, what we experienced leading up to it. I am curious of what comes next. So now what? That was one trial. That was one person, which in our, in our both Jewish and global world, we understand to not just mean one person, obviously. And 
There are many others, unfortunately, that have been and that will be in a similar situation. And so what does our tradition tell us we now must do? So we've heard the, the kind of the pre, now we're going to hear the post. Now we're going to learn together as a community, what do we do next? How do we move away from Tuesday and use the history of that trial to teach us what we should do so that there are fewer trials in the future or so that they are fair trials in the future? In Pirkei vote, it says, Rabbi Tarfon used to say, it is not your duty to finish the work, but neither are you at liberty to neglect it. If you have studied much Torah, you shall be given much reward. Faithful is your employer to pay you the reward of your labor and know that the grant of reward unto the righteous is in the age to come. It is not your duty to finish the work, but neither are you at liberty to neglect it. Those who are involved in social justice work, social action work, know that this is a motto, right? You might not in your lifetime be the hero that saves X project or makes sure that X people are no longer denigrated. However, it is your job to continue working at it because you can't neglect it. So if you're not working at it yet, you should start. And once you start, just know that it's okay if you don't finish it, but the work is what's important to be done. Because as I've often shared, when, when you believe that someone else is doing something, then you're not going to do it. And then no one's going to do it. And then you just have problem after problem after problem. So we need to make sure that even if this is not our work to finish, and even if we will not live long enough to finish the work, that we need to be part of the process to make sure that it is work that is being done. That's from Pirkei Avot. It was written a long time ago. And I'm embarrassed to say, and hopeful to say, that I don't believe that we've followed this well enough yet, and I believe that we are starting to emerge into a world where more of us feel like this is important. More of us feel like there is work to be done and are doing that work. In Proverbs, it says, speak up for the mute, for the rights of all the unfortunate. Speak up, judge righteously, champion the poor and the needy. What I think is so interesting about the words in Hebrew here, p'tach picha, is that not only does it say speak for the mute, it says open up the mouths of the mute. So you're not speaking for yourself because someone else can't speak. You are speaking for the person who can't speak on their behalf, the words they would have shared. That to me is so much more powerful because if I'm just speaking for someone and telling their story or speaking what I think they might want me to say, those are my words. But p'tach picha, open up their mouth for they are mute, means that we need to be their mouthpiece, literally their words, the words they would want us to say, their narrative to make sure that that's what we are sharing, that's what we are working on. 
And this last piece here is not from our tradition. It's from James Baldwin, who said, not everything that is faced can be changed, but nothing can be changed until it is faced. So I want to just end this teaching by saying that there is Gabrielle, I see you, but I'm going to, I'm going to close here and then I'm happy to hear your thoughts on this, uh, post Shabbos. I want to close this teaching by saying that this line coupled with, I think the last two sources here from, uh, from Mishnah Avot, from Pirkei Avot and from Mishle, from Proverbs is exactly the next steps for us because what happened can't be changed. But we can make sure that that which happened changes what happens in the future. So I'm not a lawyer. I'm not even a person in the justice system. But the way that I speak, the way that I speak up, the way that I act, the way that I welcome people into our community, the way that I make sure that we are partnering with other peoples and other religions... That's one way to make sure that the thing that cannot be changed is still now faced. So I hope that each of you are thinking of the ways in which you can take this past week that we had. Again, it doesn't matter if for you that was the right outcome or the wrong outcome. Whatever you're thinking in terms of, okay, that happened. Now what comes next? There needs to be a next step. And I know that Rabbi Klickfeld is also speaking about this this morning. And I think it's because we all believe that we cannot let this happen again. We cannot let it be something that we just sit by and this happens over and over and over again. So may we all live in a world where we see people, that we see them, for that which we want for our lives, we see in them and we offer to them anybody who's in our midst. And may we make sure that that which we've learned from our past, we improve for our future. Because as we said at the beginning, it's not just about our future, but it's about the futures that could have been and the futures that we hopefully will produce. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple Podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to tbala.org.